All of us have core values. They're the things that we value most. And the things we value most, they are what direct where our life is going to go, what we're going to accomplish, what we're going to do with our life. So whether you spelled them out or not, you have values that are directing your life. And for us as a church, when we started Acts Church, we specifically sought out and asked God to give us core values, things that we didn't want to change as we left and we, we grew and as we, we planted this church, things that we knew were, were supposed to be foundations to build on. And as we did, we got 13 core values that we believe God kind of laid on our heart, and we put them down as the foundation and have built everything we've done since then on these core values. So if you're here at Acts Church, it's great because you get to kind of learn some of these, know a little more about who we are. A lot of times as people see our core values and hear about them, they're like, oh, that's why you do this. And it's like, exactly, you kind of see why we do what we do and how we do it. So when my grandmother uh, was still alive, she passed away a little while ago, uh, but when she was still alive, I actually worked with her at our family business. So how many people do you know get to work with their grandma? That is a rarity, right? I worked at her family business. She was the bookkeeper for you know, years and years because her and my grandfather, the ones who started that business in 1952, which is amazing, and I, I worked with her for years, so she was not only my grandmother, but she was my coworker uh, as, I, as I grew up in the business. And it was interesting because she had this, this quirk about her in that um, whenever the Powerball or the Mega Millions would get to like a substantial number, she would buy a ticket. Now, she wouldn't buy a ticket any of the other times. She never would buy lottery tickets at all, really. But if the Powerball or the Mega Millions or whatever it is would get to like, you know where it would keep rolling over and you get to like $200 million or something just astronomically insane, she would go out and she would buy a ticket. I don't know what that says about like mass psychology, but people do. They buy a ticket just when it's like that. And when she would buy those tickets, it was funny because invariably what would happen is she would bring it back and she'd have it at her desk, of course, at her shop. And the conversation at the shop that day would, have, would just devolve into, of course, the conversation of, what would you do if you won the money, right? What would you do if you won $200 million? And throughout the day, that would usually be the conversation, kind of the joke with her or the guys as we were working. The comments would be like, you know, if I won $200 million, I'd tell you what the first thing I would do would be, you know? The first thing I would buy would be this. And and, you know, everyone talking about these, these plans, about what they would do if they had it, kind of wondering how their life would change if you took a second and thought, what would happen if I had millions of dollars, right? And it's interesting because this concept has been used in the past to try to find people's deepest wants. Uh, guidance counselors used to ask this to kids when they were talking about what they wanted to do with their life and they didn't know what they wanted to do. Guidance counselors would sometimes say, well, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Now, I know nowadays it would have to be like 10 million or 100 million because isn't it sad? A million dollars doesn't seem like that much. You'd be like, I would still work hard. A million dollars seems terrifying, right? But they would ask these kids, right, if you had a million dollars, basically the idea was to ask if you had a sum of money large enough that you never had to work. You had a sum of money large enough that you would never have to work in order to survive. What would you do? And the goal was to kind of take that pressure off, and kids would, would say something. And the idea was that if you found something, you could connect it to a, a lifelong pursuit. So they said, oh, I, you know, I'd probably like to fix old cars. They'd say, well, maybe you should be a mechanic because it's down that same path, and it would be something that you, you would like to do. Or someone says, oh, I'd love, I'd love to travel. I just love getting to see new places. And they say, well, then maybe you should be a pilot or a stewardess or something where you get to do that as part of, part of your job. The only problem with that question is that they don't have a million dollars. It's the only problem with that whole great question of if you had a million dollars, what would you do, is 
you don't have a million dollars. So the conversation kind of devolves because in all reality, when you step into real life and as you step out into there, many people who might even pursue an idea dependent on that type of thinking would find, I really don't like this job because this doesn't give me any of the security or money that I was hoping to in my life. And really, this was something I'd love to do as a hobby. It's not something I want to be forced to do for 40 hours a week with someone yelling at me. The problem is there wasn't a million dollars. The problem was is that as we had those conversations at the shop about what we would do if we won $200 million, the problem was our chances of winning were beyond nothing. You understand when you play like the Mega Millions, you have like a better chance of getting struck by lightning and abducted by aliens on the same day <laughs> than like winning the Mega Millions. Like that's like the percentages. It's terrifying. But we would talk about this, but, but in all reality... For us at the shop that day, or for anyone else who's thinking about what they're doing with their life, it would be far better to just talk about what we actually had. Instead of talking about, if I won $200 million, I'd do this, what we should have been doing was having a conversation about what we were going to do with the three hours of overtime we had that week. What are you going to do with that extra 50 bucks you have to be able to do something with, right? That would have been a far more wise use of our time to have that conversation. You see, the reality of it is, is that We can talk about big, grand ideas or long-run dreams, but we also realize that we're firmly rooted in a real world. And even when it comes to spiritual things like, like the church, we realize that we're still part of a real, earthly world that we have to, we have to participate in. And this is kind of what, what built this, this core value in our minds. And here's what it is. This is one of our, one of my favorite core values, one of ours is this. Acts Church is do what you can with what you have where you are. Here's how we say it. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. It isn't about some elaborate or confusing plan. It's about doing what you can today. Anyone can make a difference in the immediate world around them. Now, we got this from Jesus. As we looked at his teaching, we saw him teaching people about how to live here on this earth, how to interact with this world, and, and what it was going to look like in this, in this season we have before we go on to eternity. And Jesus kind of spells this out. There's this great parable that Jesus taught one time to his disciples. They kind of are, are constantly asking about, what's this life supposed to look like in light of eternity? And, and Jesus spells it out with this really interesting story about a businessman, a landowner, who went away for a long time, and he entrusted some, some servants of his with his money. Let me read you, uh, I'm going to read you a couple little pieces of this story. It's in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. It says this, just as Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, Two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now we're going to jump down to verse 19. It says, After a long time their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And pause for one second. I'm just going to jump over. The next guy who got two bags, who brought back 
four bags. He had also doubled what he'd been given. Gets the exact same response as this guy. Literally the exact same sentence said to him by the master. But now let's jump down to the last guy who comes back who is given one bag. It starts in verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they've been given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. These men are always trying to learn about the the kingdom of God and what our lives here are supposed to look like. And and Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And I think that, honestly, they would have been shocked to hear the story. You know, they're probably expecting some very ethereal, super spiritual picture of what life on earth is like. And he says, it's kind of like this business transaction. It's a lot like business, where, where somebody is in charge, and he goes, and he says, here's, here's my money. You do something well with it, so when I come back, I'm proud of what you had leveraged, what you had done with my money. And Jesus is comparing this to, to our lives here on this earth. The picture he was giving was that us who are living on this earth have been given gifts, have been given a, a portion from God to use. That, that God has gifted us with, with a certain amount of energy. God has gifted us with a certain amount of time. He's gifted us with a certain amount of skills and talents. He's gifted us with a certain amount of finance. And as we go through our lives until the day where either we die and go to meet Jesus or Jesus comes back and, and meets us here, we have the ability to leverage what it is God has put into our account, not just for our own glory, but for his glory, that when we're able to take what he gives us and, and make a profit on it, accomplish more than we would just taking care of ourselves, it really what, what the Bible points to is that, that that gives glory to God. That actually gives glory to God because he says, well, look at my faithful servant. He took what I gave him and he doubled it or he tripled it and he, he was able to accomplish all these things. He says, this is what what the kingdom kind of looks like. So how does this compare to what I'm saying? Well, if you notice the story when it starts, I think it's so interesting. These three men don't get given the same amount, do they? These three men get given completely different amounts. In fact, when you think about it, radically different amounts. Compared to one to the other, one guy gets five times more given to him than the other guy. The Bible's pointing to the fact that as far as on this earth, as we look around to our friends and our family and the people in the world around us, or now with social media, we can look at a broad scope across the United States or across the world, not everybody gets the same amount. Not everybody gets the same amount of talent. Not everyone gets the same amount of money. Not everyone gets the same amount of opportunity. Not everyone gets the same amount of health. And God says, that's fair. That's fair. He said, each given in to their proportion, like a proportion to what they had, their abilities is what was given. He says, that's fair. Fair doesn't mean even. 
Fair doesn't mean even, even though I know there's a lot of conversation about that now, but even and fair are not the same word. He says fair, it was divvied up to their abilities, and some are given far more than others to use on this earth. But what's so important about this to realize is that he only ever expected each person to use what they had been given. If we read the story, you realize he comes back, and and one guy has five bags, and he brings back ten— He says, well done. You're going to be given a lot more. The next guy has two and brings back two, and he gets the exact same response. You notice he didn't expect the guy who got five bags to turn him five bags of profit and then expect the guy with two bags to turn him five bags of profit too. He didn't have the same expectation of how much you're going to bring back to me. He wasn't looking for the guy with one to bring back five bags of money at the same time as the guy who was gifted five. He had given them a portion and said, you're just responsible for the amount that I give you. So you see one who had five and, and, and made ten, and one who had two and brought back four, that both of them were given the exact same response. Both thanked and told that they had done a great job because they had used what they had. The Bible points to this fact that that each of us might be given a different portion and that we shouldn't be looking around offended or annoyed or, or jealous of other people because each of us have what we have and we're only ever required to use what we have. Listen how Luke 12, 47 through 48 puts it. This is talking about really the same exact kind of parable, just another book. It says this, And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who doesn't know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Now, this, is, this last sentence is the one I really want you to see. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. You thought that was just Uncle Ben and Peter Parker, right? Great, right? great power comes great responsibility. That was Bible. They stole that, so... That's what they're saying. They say that some are entrusted with more, but then they're required to do more. What we're gifted, what we're given here on earth, is not going to be even, and that's fair. You can't be offended that someone might have more than you, that someone might have more health, more talents, more money, because that's not yours to worry about. You're not required to keep up with them in regards to what they do for God or what they make or what they accomplish. You're only ever responsible for what God has given you. Each and every one of us are only ever responsible for the gift given to us to use well what we've been given. So we can immediately just drop the comparison. It's not about what you accomplish compared to someone else. It's about what you accomplish with what you have. That's what do what you can with what you have where you are means. Sometimes... We can get so offended and so disappointed and maybe even mad at God because we hit these limitations in our life. Each one of us is going to hit it sooner or later, and I, I can't stand them. I totally understand. I'm a, I'm a driven person who wants to accomplish things, but sooner or later, we reach a limit in our life. And that can be a multitude of things. It could be a limit on our energy. We just run out. A limit on our health, we burn out. A limit on our finance, and we, we, we can no longer afford to continue forward. A limit on our talents, where we, we think, I, I'm not smart enough, or I don't have the ability to do this. 
And we'll run into a moment in our life where all of a sudden we, we come to a limitation in our life, something that stops us from going forward. And there can be this tendency to get, to get angry at God or get offended or get very, very hurt or broken down by it. But I think that it's, I think that it's, it's unwise to do so. What if God knew right where he had you? What if your limitations weren't a surprise to God, but they were something that he already knew, he had already put in you? What if your, your limitations, when you come to the edge of how far you can go on something, what if that limitation wasn't keeping you from something great, it was keeping you where something great was supposed to happen? What if that limitation was, was meant to, to make you stop and turn around and look where you currently are? Because where you currently are is where you're supposed to be. Where you currently are has the opportunities for you to leverage what you have, opportunities for you to use what God has given you instead of just wanting to go on to the next thing or the other thing or or to continue on farther. What if our limits didn't stop us for something great? They kept us where something great was going to happen. Here's why I think this. There's this amazing guy in the Bible named Paul. And I mean, in the New Testament, he towers above Uh, just about everyone else other than Jesus as far as faith. I mean, this guy accomplished amazing, amazing things. He planted so many churches. He spread the gospel like never before. And Paul writes this letter to the church of, of Philippi, which is one of the churches he planted and was hoping to get back to and visit again. He writes this letter and he, he sends it off to him because he can't go there on his own because he's currently chained to the floor in Rome in a jail cell. And listen to the words that he pens to the church of Philippi. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. It says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul had one of the most important callings in all of humanity. I mean, this guy was was critical to the success of the gospel moving forward. Certainly, God would use Paul to the best of his ability. God would leverage Paul's faith, Paul's ability to continue to spread the message as far as he could, and yet he finds himself chained to a floor in Rome. One could be tempted to say, that's foolish. Why wouldn't God just break those chains and get him out? But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, let it be known that everything that has happened here has furthered the gospel. Everything, even the chains around your legs that are keeping you in in one spot, everything. That even my limitations have been used to further the gospel. He said, I always wanted to be able to preach to Roman citizens. Now I'm literally in a room, chained to the floor, and there are Roman soldiers that have to watch me all day. Guess what we're talking about? Talking about Jesus. He says, not only that, but, but since I've been chained, other believers out here in the world, since I'm not out there preaching, other believers realized we need to pick up the slack. 
That it wasn't just maybe one person who said, Paul's not here, I better preach. Maybe 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 other men realized, Paul's no longer able to preach, I better start preaching. And he says, all of a sudden, the gospel's moving forward even faster because I'm not out there and people are being spurred on to do it. Not only that, but Paul sat down and wrote a letter that we are reading 2,000 years later that he wouldn't have wrote if he wasn't in chains. He said, everything that has happened to me here, everything has been used to further the gospel. What if our limitations weren't a surprise to God? What if our limitations weren't something keeping us from something great? They were keeping us somewhere where something great could happen. Friend, I think that we're supposed to embrace our limitations. There are some times that I understand we'll get to the edge of something, and and I am all for fighting for what you desire in this earth, fighting for for making Jesus famous. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying I, I push against my limits as hard as I can. For real, I definitely do too. I push on them as hard as I can. But what if we shouldn't get offended when they don't move? Instead, realize maybe that's because God wants me right here. And instead of just staring at the edge of our limitations into the unknown that we can't grasp at, we would turn around and realize there's something right here that we can do. What if we don't have to go across the ocean to spread the Gospels because the person who sits next to you at work or next to you at school needs Jesus? What if the fact that that you can't go and buy this thing or do this thing, what if that's to keep you in a place where you have the opportunity to share the gospel or understand someone's situation? What if even the struggles you have are a means by which God is going to weave your story to be able to connect with other people? We're to do what we can with what we have, where we are. But what if you don't have much? What if, what if you're the person who says, this sounds great. I understand that we all might have limitations, and I know you tell me that some might have more and some might have less, but what if I'm the person that when I really think about it, I feel like I was the guy who was stuck with one talent. I, I was that guy who wasn't given five and wasn't given two. I was the one who was entrusted with very little. I don't have very much and as far as talents. I'm I'm not that smart. I'm not that good at speaking. Don't have very good faith, to be honest with you. I I go back and forth in my mind. I'm not good at, at being confident to share with people. I'm not good at making friends. Never really done that great in school or in work. And I have a hard time making things, you know, come together. And I was just that guy with with one talent. What about me though? Because you see in that story he didn't even make it. What hope is there for me? Friends, I believe that even if we haven't been given much, we have enough for what we are supposed to accomplish. I don't believe that God gives anybody a calling in life and then shortchanges them and asks them to make up the difference. I don't believe that. I think that even if you're the person, you say, honestly, I think I'm the person who just got one talent. I believe God has a plan for you that will only require what you have. God has the ability for you to use that and leverage that to be able to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. Why do I think this? There's a story where Jesus was traveling around preaching and and teaching. 
And he came to the other edge of this lake, and this, this man was there who was absolutely filled with, with demons. He was, he was beside himself insane. They said he literally would walk around cemeteries naked, cutting himself. People in the area would know that's that terrifying guy. You just stay away when you hear that he's coming around. And when he sees Jesus, he runs to him. The demons in him cry out and shriek. And Jesus casts these demons out of this man into this whole herd of pigs. And they all go crazy, frenzied, run into a lake and drown. And the man is completely restored. He's healed. The people come out to see. Probably they heard like a thousand pigs drowning in a lake. And like, what is going on? And this guy is dressed. He's intelligible. He's talking to them. Completely calm. And they're blown away, but honestly, they're they're so terrified of Jesus, of what just happened, that the people literally say, Jesus, please go away. It's too frightening. Perhaps maybe it was too costly. We just lost a whole herd of pigs, right? Would you please leave? And Jesus obliges them. He says, okay, I'll leave. And as he's getting on this boat, this man whom he had healed goes to follow after Jesus. Surely after experiencing this, he wants to become one of his disciples. He wants to follow him, continue to learn about the the great wonders of the universe and learn about God. And this is where we pick up the story in Mark 5, 18 through 20. It says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Now pause there for just one second. Let's quantify what everything is. Jesus says, go to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how good he is. Well, let's break it down. I was insane. A guy named Jesus touched me. I'm no longer insane. I was demon-possessed, hurting myself, messed up. A guy named Jesus came and met me. I'm not messed up anymore. The everything Jesus is talking about is literally three points. That's it. Jesus says, no, you don't need to come with me and you don't need to learn more about faith. You don't need to come with me and you don't need to to delve deeply into all the wonders of the kingdom of God. Just How about you go back to your family and you just tell them everything that you know about faith. And listen to what it says the man did. It says, so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region. And began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. This man says, I'm not going to go to my family. He says, there's ten towns within this little region. How about if I go to every one of these ten towns and I share my story with everyone who will listen? Just three points. I was messed up. A guy named Jesus met me. I'm not messed up anymore. Friends, even if you feel like you're the person who doesn't have much in regards to talents, who maybe doesn't know much in regards to faith. Maybe you think, I barely understand this for myself. I'm telling you, you have enough to begin. Just like this man, he says, you have enough. Just go. Begin to share your story. Well, I don't know that much. It's okay. Well, I don't know how to answer these questions. It's okay. I don't know about this situation. If someone asked me, well, what about this situation? What about where the Bible says this? I don't know. I was messed up. A guy named Jesus touched me. I'm not messed up anymore. He says, that's enough. Start there. Friends, we cannot wait. And we cannot just just sit around hoping to gain enough 
to gain enough more talent or time or energy or favor to finally do something for God. It's foolishness. If we continue to wait for more, it will never, ever come. Why? The story in Matthew 25 that we read at the beginning shows us why. The response from the master to the servant was this. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. If you are waiting for more to do something, it will never come. Because more comes from being faithful with what we have. He says, you have been faithful with the small amount I gave you. Now I know I can trust you with more responsibility, and I will give you more talents. If you are the person with one talent, you cannot wait until you get two or five to begin to be obedient. You be obedient with one, and when you are, the master is faithful to say, now I will give you more, because I know that I can trust you. Friends, more comes from being faithful with what we have. More comes from being faithful with what we have. If you are one talent, you leverage that one talent to the best of your ability. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. So what does this mean for Acts Church? It means that we understand God gave us a specific set of talents. That when we look at at other churches or other ministries, they might encourage us, but we don't measure our success by other people's success because we weren't given the same talents they were. Some will walk faster, some will walk slower, and our, uh, you know, accomplishments as far as are we doing what God wants us to isn't based on comparing ourselves to someone else. It's based on saying, what are we doing with the talents God has given us? We're just responsible for whatever God has put in our hands. It means that for us at Acts Church, we embrace our limitations, and we face them on a regular basis. For us as a a team, the leaders of Acts Church, we consistently say in meetings, think inside the box. There's always that big corporate thing, right? Can you think outside of the box? Can you think outside of the box? So often it's foolishness. We believe that if there's a limitation that's here, it's most likely because that's where God has put us. There's a solution inside of that box. We never say, if, if we had this, or if we had more of this. We don't allow those statements in our meetings because it doesn't matter. We don't. We solve problems creatively. We solve problems instead of with, with money and spending more, a lot of times with hustle. It would be easier to do it like this. Yeah, but we don't have money, so we do it this way and we work twice as hard. We still get it done. We solve issues by doing what we can right where we are. It means that we leverage everything we have to the best of our ability, realizing that whatever God's given us, we are going to use as far and as fast as we can. We're a church of almost 300 people on a weekend, and we still don't have one full-time paid staff. That's insane. Like, we literally have me as a part-time staff. That's it. Everyone else is volunteer at our church. When I talk to my church planning friends, they laugh at me. Because they go, there's no way that you have a church that has 300 people who meet on a weekend and you have no full-time staff. I said, we have no full-time staff. They said, a church your size should have three full-time staff and be looking to hire a fourth. I said, yeah, but we leverage everything we have. 
we're willing to, to, to use everything we can so we can run faster and we can run further. It's the reason why our church is only six years old, started with 16 people and has 300 people on a weekend. That's why. Because we're willing to leverage what we have. It's why we do something like have two services on a weekend instead of just having one. Because if we had one, we would have already ran out of space and we would have had to move to a new building. But instead we say, we'll take and leverage this building to run two services in it. And probably by next year we'll have to run three services in it. Because we want to try to use it to the very best of the ability we can. It's why we take and we have groups that meet in multiple locations. It's why we take and we have our worship team practice in our kids' facility throughout the week. It's why we use our other rooms as meeting places throughout the week. We try to use everything two or three or four ways. And if we can't use it, what we start doing is giving it to other churches to use so that it can continue to be moved. We give away old stuff from when we were a mobile church or we loan our equipment to other churches when they're doing stuff. If we're not using it, you use it because we want to leverage everything we have, anything God has given us to the best of our abilities because when we do, we believe God will give us more. What does it mean for you? Because you guys are Acts Church. What does it mean for you? Do me, do me a quick favor, okay? Close your eyes for a second. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Imagine for me. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would you do if you had so much money you would never have to work again? What would you do if you had all the time in the world? Now open your eyes and forget about all that bullcrap because it's never going to happen. You don't have a million dollars. You aren't going to win the lottery. You're never going to have enough money that you don't have to work. And you're never going to have all the time in the world. The answer is not to ask what I would do if I had all the money in the world. It's to ask what I would do with the money God has given me right now. It's not to ask what I would do if I had all the time in the world. It's to ask what would I do with the time I have right now. Not what I would do if I had all the ability in the world and I could sing or I could preach or I could this. No, what are you going to do with what you have right now? Friends, it's embracing the fact that there are limitations in your life. And if there's a limitation, it's because God has you right where he wants you right now. That perhaps you don't need to go somewhere else. You don't need to do something else. That right as you sit is the opportunity for you to change the world. What if you just decide, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. How about just do it for one person instead? Some grandiose schemes of I want to go and I want to do this on this. I want to go and I want to do this. And these big, huge dreams. How about just do it for one person? Because you have the ability to actually do that right now. Right where you are. Leverage what you have. Be faithful with what God has given you. Some of you, I'm just being real. You're my friends. You're my family. You sound like fools when you pray. You are asking God to give you more while you are currently misusing what he has given you. You are asking God for more money while you're misusing the money he has given you. You're asking God for more time when you're misusing the time he has given you. You're asking God for a new relationship while you're currently misusing the relationship you were just in. And you sound like a fool. You're asking for more, not realizing that God clearly spoke. More comes from you being faithful with what you have. 
Do you want more? Yeah. Don't bother praying about it. Be faithful with what you have, and God promises he will give you more. If only you leverage what you have. It's not about what you do if you have a million dollars. It's not about what you do if you have all the time in the world. It's about what you would do with your life right now, today. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. And if you do it, God will bring the increase. When he sees you're faithful, he will bring it. I'll tell you, friends, I love the opportunity I have to preach at Acts Church, to be the lead pastor of Acts Church. It was, it was a dream I really didn't even fully realize when I was a young man at 16 years old. But I didn't get the opportunity to preach at Acts Church. I got the opportunity to help in a youth ministry. And I helped in that youth ministry with all of my heart and all of my energy and all of my soul. And then I, I didn't get the opportunity to preach at Acts Church. I got the opportunity to lead a college ministry. And I stepped into that college ministry and I gave it everything I could and I, I could and I pushed as hard as I could and I preached as hard as I could in that environment and tried to share faith with the 20 or 30 people I knew. And I didn't get an opportunity to lead Acts Church. I got an opportunity to, to lead a college ministry nationally. And I did that and I stepped into it and gave it everything I had and I, I, I took and I, I was willing to leverage all of my personal finance into it. I was willing to, to change my schedule, to travel, to give up opportunities, to, to step away from relationships and push as hard as I could to lead this ministry. And then I was given the opportunity to lead Acts Church. Some of you are foolishly looking for the thing you want four or five steps from now and unwilling to take the first step you're supposed to take right now. We don't get that five bags of silver right away. We get one. And we use one well, and then God says you get two. And you use two well, and then God says you can have five. It got to the point so much that as I was, as I, was I mean, pushing into the Lord and asking, God, please, would you, would, you, would you allow me to be able to lead this well? I literally began to pray a prayer out of this verse where I would say, God, give me the bags of those who won't use them. God, give me the bags of those who have buried them. Your promise is that what little they have will be taken away from them and given to those who have an abundance. You see how hard I'm pushing. God, please, I pray that I could do more for you. Take away the blessings from those other people who are misusing them and give them to me. Because I refuse to let your glory not be preached. I refuse to let your glory not be known. If they're not using them, please give them to me because I will take them as far as I can. Friends, whatever you have, whatever you've been given, whatever your limitations today, you are exactly where God wants you. Use what you have today to be faithful, to honor him, to change the immediate world around you. That's how it starts. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, for what a good God you are. I thank you, Jesus, for the fact that you have gifted us, Lord, with so many talents. And Lord, whether we are one who has been gifted with one bag or two bags or five, God, we know that you only expect us to use what we have, that you don't put us up against comparisons of people we can't keep up with. All we have to do is use what you've put in our hands well. I ask Jesus Christ that you would please challenge us and encourage us to do what we can 
with what we have, where we are today. Help us to change the world right around us, the world that we can reach. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.